If only it was that easy. Here at Four City, we believe that faith is easy to start and a lifetime of working it out. Um, but we have three words that we use to describe uh, the, our, what we think the faith journey is all about. And you've probably heard them before. Life, transformation, and adventure. And let me just break them down quickly because I, I really like them. We think that when you choose to follow Jesus, your life becomes more full. You know, full of the good stuff, full of peace and contentment, love and mercy, purpose and community. Following Jesus uh, is a lifetime of exchanging despair for hope and fear for love. Your life becomes more full. And we think that when you choose to follow Jesus, you get to experience transformation. You change from the inside out. And as you follow him, you become uh, more like him. You begin to look and act more like Jesus. Your mind and your soul begin an incredible transformation. And we think that when you choose to follow Jesus, you begin an adventure. Life as a Christian shouldn't be boring. It's full of ups and downs, full of successes and failures, and it will take you to places you never thought you would go. It's not easy, but faith is an adventure. Life, transformation, adventure. It's part of who we are here at Fort City. And today, though, I want to take a moment just to focus on one of those parts. I want to talk about transformation. And essentially, transformation just means change. Uh, and today I want to ask, how does following Jesus change us? Why does it change us? And is it even possible to really change? Um, when I worked at the fire hall, we had a saying that sort of became our motto. Uh, we would say, if nobody moves, nobody gets hurt. Now, it was just an excuse to be lazy most of the days, but it was true. As long as nothing changed, we would be safe. As long as it was quiet and we didn't rock the boat, nothing could go wrong because change is dangerous. And change is also hard. If you've ever tried uh, to change a bad habit, you know it can feel impossible. Trying to read more or lose weight or eat better, these sort of habit changes are extremely difficult. And I'm feeling that pressure a little bit right now. Uh, Doug, uh, our lead pastor, has been working with our denomination for quite a while now on a process that would get me eventually uh, become, for me to become an ordained minister. And this normally requires uh, like a degree, and that's something I don't have. And so basically, Doug has developed a program uh, for blue-collar Christian guys like me to go from no formal Christian education to becoming uh, ordained pastors. Uh, I am incredibly in grateful to Doug uh, for building this program for me. I started uh, today, September 1st is the start date. Uh, I was incredibly grateful until I saw how much work he made it. And so I'm going to be a little bit busy for the next four years. Uh, it's a lot, but I'm really looking forward to it. And actually, I have to, I have to tell you this. Um, this week, um, Larry Underhill, he's a guy who uh, sits in the back corner there normally, he sent a message to our office admin this week, and this is what it said word for word. I'm just going to read it to you. He said, Hi, I just made a donation and would like it to go to Lucas's office budget if possible. He probably needs lots of pencils and a big eraser for when Doug grades his papers. L-O-L. So it's nice to know that I've got some people rooting for me out there. 
Thanks, thanks, Larry. You know, you don't have to write very many papers when you're a firefighter. Uh, one of the things, uh, the most complicated concepts to figure out is you just put the wet stuff on the hot stuff. And so this academic pursuit for me is intimidating. It's going to require change. It's going to require new habits that I don't currently have. Change is hard, but it's not impossible. I hope. Today is the last Sunday of our Jesus Stories message series that we've been doing all summer long. And uh, it's the last one, but it might just be my favorite story that we've talked about. It's a story that reminds us that change truly is possible. And Jesus was sentenced to death. Many of us know that part, but not just death, but death by crucifixion. Death nailed to a cross. And he had spent the last three years of his life telling people to pray for their enemies, to love one another, and to turn the other cheek. And yet somehow it was these ideas that led to him being condemned to die. Love and grace were two radical ideas to go unchecked by those who were in power at the time. And his trial was a sham. It was a rush job. And this is likely because there were two other criminals who had previously been scheduled to be crucified that day. And so uh, it was a long weekend, and they wanted to get all the crucifixions in before the long weekend, and so they rushed it. This is crazy, but it is true. Uh, Trumped-up charges and a hasty trial led to a quick conviction for Jesus. They placed a crossbeam on his shoulders, and he was forced to carry it up the hill of Calvary. And all the way, he's being mocked, and people are punching him, he's getting spit on, and the men guarding him were ruthless. And when he reached the top, he and the two other criminals were nailed to their crosses, and they were raised into the air. And this form of execution wasn't invented by Romans, but it was perfected by them. Normally, it would take the victims of crucifixion days before they would die. They would suffer for days. And for Jesus, it was made even more difficult that day by the fact that many of his friends, many of his closest friends, had abandoned him. And so looking out from across, there were not very many friendly faces in the crowd. And those who were there to support him had to be quiet for fear of being discovered as Jesus followers. He was so very alone in those moments on the cross. cross. He was in pain, and he was discouraged. And Matthew and Mark, two guys who uh, interviewed uh, eyewitnesses, and uh, Matthew, who himself was an eyewitness, uh, they told us that even the criminals on the crosses next to Jesus were mocking him as the three of them died. And they hung there long enough and close enough to each other that they were able to even talk to each other. And they were the conversations of dying men. And someone somewhere on the ground close to these crosses was close enough to overhear the most incredible exchange. One of the men hanging next to Jesus is overheard hurling insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah, he says. Save yourself and us. He's mocking him. He's saying, you're not who you said you were. You're nothing special. If you were, you wouldn't be up here with us. And I'm sure these words stung for Jesus. But then, from the other cross, the man comes to the defense of Jesus. He had previously mocked Jesus as well, but something had changed throughout the day. He said, don't you fear 
God. He's saying, this man has done nothing wrong. Jesus doesn't deserve to be here. You and I, we deserve this. We're criminals, but he does not. And he takes a breath and he turns his head towards Jesus and he says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He's saying, remember me. You are who you said you are. Don't forget me. And this is the most incredible moment. This is why Jesus did what he did. This is why he allowed himself to be captured and convicted. This is why he endured every beating and every excruciating step up that hill. This moment proved that it was all worth it. And Jesus opens his eyes and his heart is full of compassion. His head lifts towards this thief on the cross next to them and with the love that only someone who is willing to give their life for another can give, says to him, Truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. And that day, a thief became the first recipient of the life-transforming love of Jesus. That day, his eternity was altered. That day, he made the most important decision he could make. And because of it, he went from mocking Jesus to being saved by him. There are two vital things that I want us to try to learn from this guy. That recognizing our need to be changed by the love of Jesus is the beginning of faith. It's the first step. You can't solve a problem you don't acknowledge. And the second step of faith is trusting Jesus to change us from the inside out. It's his work that changes our hearts. It's his love that covers up our sins. It's his spirit that changes us. In 2008, or no, no, 2018, that's a big difference. Uh, there were escalating tensions between North Korea and the United States. Both countries were flexing their nuclear muscles, and, and both countries were kind of threatening that it was possible for each other to hit each other with these nuclear missiles. It was pretty, you guys remember, this was crazy. Um, and this prompted the officials in Hawaii uh, to begin preparing for a, an event like this. And so they were doing drills and tests and getting everybody ready. And you all know the story. Uh, they wanted to send out a test alert to people's phones to ensure the emergency alert system worked. Uh, instead of sending out a test, they sent out this message. Ballistic missile threat inbound to Hawaii. Seek immediate shelter. This is not a drill. Can you imagine sipping your drink out of a coconut on a beach in Hawaii and you get this text message? The whole beach gets this text message. It's terrifying to think about. Parents were lowering their kids into sewers to protect them. People went live on Facebook with tearful goodbyes to their families back home saying, I'm about to die, and I want you to know I love you. It was absolute pandemonium. 
And at the time, my old captain was there on vacation. And it's hilarious to me as he recounts his experience of the missile crisis. Uh, because while, uh, while Patty was uh, in Hawaii, while this was all happening, uh, he was in the gym at the hotel without his phone. And so while all of Hawaii is freaking out that something bad is about to happen, and he is doing squats. <laughs> and for an hour, he was walking on the treadmill while the whole state was in uproar. He had no idea about the statewide panic. He was oblivious. When it comes to faith, we must not be oblivious to our need for God, our need for Him to change us, our need for Him to transform us. You cannot solve a problem that you don't admit exists. You cannot satisfy a need that you are unaware of. The first step to, a, to faith is acknowledging that you are in need of a Savior. And this is not, this is not easy. And this is not comfortable. It means looking inside of ourselves critically. It means shining a light on some dark places in the corners of our souls. It means being honest with ourselves about who we are. You see, when God made this world, when he created it all, there's this great reference in, in Genesis where it says he stepped back and he looked at everything that he created and he said, that is good. He was proud of what he created. He was pleased. He created us, you and me, in his own image. And he enjoyed having relationship with mankind. It's why he went through the trouble of breathing life into our lungs in the first place. But somewhere along the way, things went wrong. And we decided that what God was giving us wasn't enough. We decided that we thought we knew better, that because of that, our good and perfect relationship with God, it got fractured. And sin in that moment became part of the human condition. We talk about sin a lot in churches. If you've, if you've ever experienced church services elsewhere, other places or here, sin is a common theme, but I am convinced that sin, it, it's not the real problem. Sin is simply a symptom of a much more serious problem. Sin is a symptom of us living outside of relationship with the God who created us. Just like high blood pressure is merely a symptom itself of the underlying heart disease, or wheezing is just a symptom of the underlying asthma, sin is a symptom of a broken relationship with God. In the medical field, you can treat symptoms without ever curing the disease. You can make the pain go away without fixing a broken ankle. You can bring your blood pressure down without ever curing the underlying heart disease. You can treat the symptoms without ever solving the core problem. And I think sometimes us Christians, we spend too much time treating our symptoms. We focus so much on sin. We try so hard to change our behaviors. We focus on trying not to do this, trying not to do that, instead of diagnosing the real cause of our sin. Instead of really going to the source of our condition. 
Our sin is a symptom, and our separation from God is the problem. And the thief on the cross, he said to Jesus, remember me when you get to your kingdom. Remember me. These are relationship words. This is how you would talk to another person. Remember me. He didn't say, he didn't say Jesus, come into my heart. He didn't say, Jesus, I'm so sorry for being a thief. He didn't say, Jesus, forgive my sins. But Jesus, remember me. Jesus, I need you. I want to fix this relationship. Remember, relationship words, remember me. The first step of faith is admitting our need for Jesus, of acknowledging that there is a broken relationship there that requires some redemption. Adrian and I got married in 2007. Uh, We got married in Arkansas at the church she grew up in by the pastor that was so influential growing up uh, that was part of her faith. His name was Brother Don Justice. And he is a very important guy in our story. Uh, Our 10-year-old son, Justice, is actually named after him. And our premarital counseling with Brother Don Justice uh, consisted of a single meeting where he looked me straight in the eye and he told me that if you ever do anything to hurt that girl, and he just shook his head. I knew what he meant. He was a pastor who had a gun in his office. Okay, (laughs) this is Arkansas. I believe he meant it. And where we got married in Arkansas, it's a dry county, so that means there's no bars, no liquor stores. Uh, and, and what I thought was so crazy about it is that you drive a few miles down, to, down the road on the border to, uh, with Louisiana. Uh, there, literally on that border is a drive-through liquor, tobacco, fireworks store. <laughs> right where it becomes legal again. And you can get all of your vices all in one place. Um, Chris uh, was my best man uh, that week for our wedding. Chris played drums this morning, and he's one of our worship leaders here. Um, That week, uh, we took advantage of that drive-thru a couple of times, uh, just for the fireworks. I promise. Okay? Just for the fireworks. And we spent $200 on fireworks in that drive-thru. And I think the guy had never had anybody spend that much money on fireworks before in his life. Uh, We bought the biggest package. And we fired them off all day and all night. And um, there was a bunch left over uh, when we were finished. Fast forward a week. And the wedding is over. And Chris and Kaylee are flying home. And they have passed through customs. They have actually landed in Calgary. And they're about to deboard their plane when Chris grabs his bag out of the overhead bin. And about $50 worth of fireworks falls out of his bag onto the floor of the plane. He brought explosives onto an international flight. And Chris will tell you, that the guy he was sitting next to him just looked at him. It gave him a look. And Chris had to be like, be cool, bro, be cool. Can you imagine if Chris had been caught? Can you imagine the conversation that he would have had to have with the police? Chris didn't remember that there was fireworks in his bag, but they wouldn't have cared. They wouldn't have looked to see if there was intent in his heart. They wouldn't have cared if he didn't mean to bring them or not. What he did mattered more than what he meant. 
God does not work that way. He cares more about your heart than he does about your actions. And he is more interested in who you are on the inside than what you've done on the outside. Look at this guy on the cross. He never got a chance to change his actions. He never got to make right any of the wrong things he had done in his life. He never got to uh, give to the poor. He never got to prove his faith was real to the people around him. He never got to behave any differently. He never got to act like a Christian, like a Jesus follower. But he didn't need to because Jesus looked straight into his heart and knew it was real. He looked past all the things that we look at first. And he saw a change of heart. He saw what he was truly looking for, a man who knew he was at odds with his God and was desperately trying to repair his relationship with his creator, grasping at straws. And that was good enough for Jesus. Here's the difference. We look at appearance. We look at the thief and we see the obvious. We see a bloody, desperate man desperately reaching out for some sort of hope. We see someone who didn't live a good life. Someone who never tried to be a better person. Someone who is getting punished, probably justly, for their crimes. Someone trying to sneak into the club. But that is not what Jesus saw. He saw past the obvious. And he saw a broken and hurting and lost soul. He saw a person he loved unconditionally. He saw a man fumbling through the dark, just trying to find some hope to grasp onto. And he saw a man willing to acknowledge his own shortcomings, his own sin. A man whose heart was changing. This is important. The second step of faith is not a change of behavior. It is a change of heart. Behavior will follow. It may take a long time. But the second step of faith is a change of heart. You know, <laughs> I've been going to this church a long time. My parents started bringing me here in 1991. And so this place is part of me. Um, it's shaped who I am and it's shaping who I am becoming. Um, even when I was a kid here at this church, I had people telling me that God had a calling on my life. Uh, that you need to grow up and you need to be a pastor. And one day you're going to make a great pastor. And I received so much affirmation. And then I went and did something different for 12 years. Um, but I, I eventually came back to it. But everyone was telling me to be a pastor. And talking with my wife,
thank God every day for her decision to overcome those limiting beliefs that people tried to place on her. But too often that isn't the case. Too often we let the labels other people place on us define us. We let our mistakes steer our lives. We let shame or guilt take the wheel and choose the direction that we are headed in. I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up now. Now, I could only guess, but this is what probably happened to the thief on the cross next to Jesus. Somewhere along the way in his life, he began to steal, maybe out of necessity. Maybe because his family was desperate, probably out of necessity. And whatever happened, he got labeled as a thief, a criminal, and it became part of his identity. And society had labeled him a thief, and he didn't argue anymore. And when he was punished for his crimes, he didn't deny them. And I think it's important for us to realize something. That the very first person told they would spend eternity with Jesus was a serial criminal. It was a man who would never have a chance to work out his faith. A man who probably barely understood what he was asking Jesus. It was a criminal who didn't deserve it. And there are people in this room right now who have been told, you don't deserve it. Maybe by the people uh, around you when you were growing up, maybe at the church you attended as a kid or a teenager, or maybe it's just a voice inside your chest that's constantly telling you you are not good enough, that you will never be good enough, that God couldn't love someone like you. Don't listen to that. Don't wear that evil. The love of God is not dependent on your goodness. The love of God is proof of His goodness. Paul put it this way, Romans 5 8, but God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's us. That's you and me and the thief on the cross. Nothing we have done, nowhere we have gone can disqualify us from receiving the promises of Jesus. While we were still sinners, he paved a way for us to fix our fractured relationship with him, to solve the problem, to restore the relationship. And the thief on the cross shows us that God's love is for everyone. That the beginning of faith is acknowledging first that we need his love. And that it is a change of heart before it is a change in behavior. I want you to imagine a thief on a dying, dying on a cross. In desperation, he asks, remember me. Remember me, Jesus. And somehow in the pain and sorrow and torment of that moment, those words cut through and stirred Jesus to action. It makes me wonder if it's because the night before these words, remember me, actually came out of the mouth of Jesus himself. It was only hours before the thief said, remember me. And it was in the cool of the evening and Jesus was surrounded by friends and loved ones around a table full of food and full of wine, a room full of love and a room full of laughter. And Jesus spoke up and he, he stopped the crowd from talking. 
And he fouled up the food that they were eating, and he thanked God for it. He broke it apart, and he handed it out, and then he said, This is my body, given for you. Do this, and remember me. Remember me. Don't forget what we did here. Don't forget how far we have come together. Don't forget what I was willing to give for you. Remember me. And so that's what we're going to do here this morning. Almost 2,000 years later, after Jesus spoke those words, remember me, we are going to share in a moment together. And we're going to take a little bit of bread and a little bit of juice, and we're going to share this meal together. For those of us who haven't chosen to follow Jesus this morning, for those of us who have, sorry, for those of us in the room who follow Jesus, let's take this moment to remember the way he lived his life and, the, and gave love and hope to everyone around him. Let's remember his sacrifice at the cross, that he made a way for us to fix our broken relationship with him. And let's remember that he loved us first and best. And for those of us in the room who have not made a decision to follow him, this table could be for you too. Maybe like the thief on the cross, you can use this moment to acknowledge your need for a restored relationship with your creator. And you could use this table to ask him to remember you. And I promise he will not let you down. Let's take a moment to pray. Jesus, I thank you this morning for our chance to gather together in this place and to talk about you and to talk with you and to worship you through music. I thank you that you have made a way for these things to happen. And that even though we have walked away, that we have screwed up, that our relationship with you has been tested and tried, that you made a way at the cross for us to be good with you, for us to heal that relationship. Jesus, remind us of our need for you and change us from the inside out. Remember us 